Morning, team. Good time for me to leave. Very good time for you to leave. I just, Anthony just noticed my mistletoe, which was up here since Christmas, and I said, oh, it's looking a bit sort of wizened and shriveled up. And it was then he made his exit. It looks like it's daddy. <laughs> Thank you. Off you go. He's back with you tomorrow morning on LBC. I don't know why I'm in a happy mood, actually. I'm not particularly cheerful this morning. You know, some mornings you're cheerful and some mornings... In fact, twice I've read this particular article of the paper and each time it's made me cry, I'm afraid. So we might have to do it again this morning. Because you know me and crying. I'm quite good at that. I, I, I nearly cried a little bit when I heard the news last night from Channel 5 that they're axing their five o'clock show. You know the one that's got the girl from The Apprentice and the other one? They've decided to kill it off. It's it, because it, it was, it's in the water... And isn't it funny, I was saying yesterday, I don't know why it's still on there, it's part of old rubbish. Both of them are chronically bad presenters. You've got uh, some girl that talk like that, and then you've got the... I can't remember, I don't know who it is, actually. Might be Jane Middlemas. <laughs> Professional northerner. It's not a bad impression. But see, you knew it was her, didn't you? You knew. So that means that imp- my impressions are getting really good. Way a canny lad. And, uh, nope, don't know do that, that's my milkman. And and then the other one, who's all teeth and is just chronically awful. Although she's not bad, she's just a bit... She's a bit gushy. And there's one thing I don't like on television, it's gushy presenters. You know, people that try too hard. So at the moment, on the country farm, they've got this blonde girl who's sort of a bit smiley-smiley, carol-smiley. You wish somebody would hold her face down in a puddle, because she's getting on my nerves now. Every time I turn on the television, they should, and, you know, she'll be walking through a field or mud or whatever, and still smiling. You think, why don't you just bog off your... I don't want happy presenters on the... T- I want genuine presenters. I don't want fake presenters. And she's a fake presenter. No, she's not genuinely happy at all. She goes, so, I'm going up in a helicopter. I'm, and, I, of course, I'm thinking the worst. I'm thinking, oh, I hope you don't manage to make it there. But... <laughs> and today I'm going to be hanging off the end of a cliff and I'm thinking, I hope the rope breaks. You know, anything, really, to make the programme more entertaining. I think like that when I watch the television. And yet this morning... In fact, I nearly didn't get in the shower at all because I became so engrossed in this programme about fish. And it was done by Channel 4's dispatches. And, well, you don't want to eat fish ever again. Because what you think is fresh fish, nine out of ten times, turns out to be a load of old cobblers. In fact, sometimes it is actually a fish called a cobbler, which I believe comes from Vietnam, comes from these filthy rivers. And if you saw the market conditions in Bangladesh and the prawns, and one farmer who didn't want to be named but showed you how he did it, they inject the prawns, the big ones, with this liquid which makes them heavier so they get more money. And he said he reckoned 90% of these big prawns that are heading here... Well, I tell you, I'm not touching a prawn ever again. We know that they eat... I mean, a lot of people don't eat prawns because they eat sewage. And in Bangladesh, when we say they eat sewage, they absolutely eat sewage. He said, this man who has this big farm, he'd never been inspected... He said, I've never seen any inspectors. He puts this stuff down because a few years ago his fish caught diseases. So he puts this stuff down, which is banned by the EU. Everybody's banned this stuff. Nobody's ever... He puts eight or ten bottles in there. It's, it's been condemned by everybody. I mean, this programme on, on fishing and the fish you buy... So they then go to Asda, and it's got, like a lot of supermarkets, fresh fish. So you assume, don't you, that all the stuff that's lying there, because it's not in a... In a, in a plastic packet or something, is fresh. And when you say fresh to somebody, you go, and they ask them, what do you think fresh means? And they go, I think it was caught, you know, almost like yesterday, and brought down and refrigerated. He said, no, no. He said, far from it. He said, this stuff here can be anything up to 15 months old. 15 months in deep freezers, which go down to minus 18 degrees. And then they take them out and thaw it out. Well, I don't see that as fresh. 
and you have to read the label. It's very carefully labelled. They, 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 they put down, you know, cod or whatever it is from EU sources, and then underneath it's got maybe deep frozen. And in which case, it's not fresh. But they've put it out with the fresh fish to make you think it's fresh. Well, they're, well, they're, they're erring on the side of caution, you see, because legally it can be up to 15 months in a deep freeze and still be sold as fresh. Many of the many of the cuts of meat that you buy in supermarkets have been frozen. That's why they say on it, do not refreeze, because it's been frozen once, can't freeze it again, and that can have been up to two years in a deep freeze. If you go into deep, deep freeze, which is about minus 20, you can keep this stuff forever, you thaw it out. I mean, you remember that huge scandal years ago, which we were all going, oh, God, you wouldn't want to touch this stuff. It was chicken that came from a condemned slaughterhouse in Ireland... And the chicken, sorry to mention it, but the chicken was actually condemned meat. So what they did, they went round and they had, they were picking it up in, what do they call those dinkum digger things? You know, like a, a, do you remember it? Picking up all this chicken, washing it in brine and then a salt solution and flogging it to restaurants. Luckily, it was, it was disgusting, wasn't it? Oh, you wonder, A, why people are vegetarian. Secondly, you wonder, and I'm only telling you this now, you know when you see the cheap chicken places and they've got three pieces and this, where do you think it comes from? It's crap food. Don't touch it. Make yourself ill. You go, oh, I just had a bad thing there. A, <coughs> excuse me, A, most of these places aren't inspected by the council, contrary to what you think. Uh, and secondly, they don't change the oil very regularly. That's another way of getting ill. But this cheap food... I mean, I know because I've seen a couple of places where I've seen the boxes and they've got chicken from Thailand. And you think, and we have chicken in this country. I've now started avoiding it in Marks and Spencers. I've got that paranoid over it because Marks and Spencers do oakum chicken. Now, oakum is made up. It's their own, their own brand that they've made up. They, they, they think it sounds posh. Well, it does, you see, because I'm buying into, into oakum chicken. So when I see Marks and Spencer's doing chicken pieces and they're doing a whole box for four quid and, I'm, and it doesn't say oakum on it, I'm thinking it's crap chicken, so I'm not buying it. I will only buy it if it says oakum, because I think I'm buying a particular brand. And you go into supermarkets and you go, how much is that roasted chicken? They go, that's one ninety nine, And then they've got another one at four ninety nine. You're thinking, where's the one ninety nine one from? Because a lot of supermarkets do roasted chickens now, because oh, I'm just doing login. Because we uh, because we absolutely love the uh, uh, the smell of of roasted chicken. But a lot of it, I mean, you have to ask yourself, where does the one ninety nine chicken come from? And that's what they're selling retail. What are they paying for it? About fifty pence. Because the time you've actually heated it up and cooked it and all the rest of it. But that's why I would never ever eat in any of these takeaway chicken places. I really wouldn't, because if they're selling three pieces and a portion of chips and a soft drink and a garlic bread for one ninety nine, you're buying crap. You're absolutely buying crap. But luckily, the only people who eat it are students. Well, as most of us couldn't give a forex about students, we're all fine on that one, aren't we? Anyway, loads of uh, stories in the papers today. Gary Barlow said the other day... <laughs> this is going to upset Robbie Williams. He said, I only see take that as a four-piece... Now, Robbie, at the moment, is back in America, la -da -da -da, dancing around, you know, like the proverbial idiot that he is. And, and I said to you before, because I'm never wrong, I said to you before that I always thought that Gary Barlow had brought him back, they'll sell out this tour, which is doing very, very well, they don't need to worry about ticket sales, and then at the end of this, 
Robbie will probably have a breakdown because it's really stressful. It's, you know, it just drives people mad doing touring all the time. I know. Heavens above, I've been touring for years. And, you know, the pantechnicons and the scenery and the costumes and the lighting and the makeup and the smell of the grease paint and the roar of the crowd and all that kind of rubbish. And, and it's very tiring. I, I suspect Robbie will do this and that's the last you'll ever see of him. I don't think you'll actually see him after that. And take that, we'll, go, we'll, we'll, we'll just go back to being a, a four-piece and, and be very, very successful. Um, Vanessa Feltz's fiancé, yes, the grinning idiot, is still out there. They've been engaged. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. It's quite a long time, yes. They probably haven't quite worked out. The finances are that desperate they need to do an OK wedding just yet, but it can't be far off it. Anyway, he apparently got locked in a freezer. I know, don't make me say it, please. But anyway, he says here that um, Ben faithfully reported from this 100, minus 120 degrees treatment, it was unbelievably cold, even the little fella shrank. Bit like your audience, Ben, isn't it? It's because you're chronically awful and because nobody's interested in her either. So if we put the other Channel 5 show out of its misery, let's put yours out of its misery as quickly as possible. Because quite clearly the public don't like you don't like her, because there are more people listening now than have watched her in a week. OK? I rest my case. Here's uh, Gary Barlow, uh, Robbie facing the sack for good. Sack for good? Sack for... Oh, it doesn't matter. And uh, front of the Daily Star today, load of old lies, as usual. Tearful Katie Price. <laughs> Ever seen her cry before? No, me neither. I think that'll put glitter in her eyes first. Is being forced to share a bed with estranged husband Alex Reed despite the marriage split. What a load of old cobblers. What a load of old rubbish. Being forced to share a bed. What lies. What lies. Mind you, from her mouth, most stuff. There are lots of spare rooms, and according to the papers, he slept in one the other night. She's seeing the lawyers to get him out. Because she is like the little spoilt, petulant child who's just a bit overmade up. And she's decided she doesn't want him in the house. I thought they were married still. I mean, you know, pardon me. Isn't it his house as much as hers? They've been married for a little while. And uh, the Dancing on Ice tour goes ahead. They're all out there. We have to tell you uh, that poor Anne Whittacombe doesn't scrub up as well as everybody else. And they don't use her till the very end of the show. She is the comedy bit. OK, so not taking her seriously. And she did write in her column the other day, you know, people say, you know, now I'm not a politician. So bearing that in mind, Anne, nobody's ever going to ask you for any sort of, you know, bits and pieces about politics anymore because now you're the comedy figure. But they only bring her on at the very end of the show. They don't bring her on at the beginning. They, they do the dancing normally, and apparently they're really not very good, most of them. And they bring her on at the end, so she's, the, she's sort of the comedy moment. OK, so that's, uh, that's just in case you were, you were going along to see it. It's doing really well, actually. Doing very, very well indeed. I, d- I wasn't sure about this line here. I, don't, I, I do watch Emmerdale. I do watch it, mainly to see, you know, some really good acting and mainly to see a lot of rubbish acting. And uh, at the moment, you've got Rona Goskirk, who is the heartbreaker. OK? Oh, you're wearing, honestly, like a cushion made into a dress, isn't it? Did you? What, is it a sofa? What? What is it? Did you make that? I didn't make it, actually. Really? I you didn't buy it. Tell me you didn't buy it. <laughs> Tell me it was made by somebody I else. I paid money for it. Oh, God. How I much? I a lot of compliments about this skirt. Who from? Everyone. Yes, DFS, the sofa people. <laughs> they go, it's very nice that you're using our sofa. You're seriously wearing that, don't so okay. I'm, just, I'm just trying to be caring. I mean, for goodness sake. <laughs> you want to hear me when I'm rude. So anyway, so they've got this bit. Now, you, you might, I'll, I'll have to read it to you in a moment, because I get very annoyed with soaps who do something that's quite serious in an effort to get an audience. 
And that's why what she said here is wrong. Wrong, 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 wrong. Plus, of course, the story that made me cry and probably made you cry as well. It'll probably make me cry again this morning. So brace yourself with a tissue because it's going to be weepy time in a moment. These are the headlines. The controversial American preacher, Pastor Terry Jones, has been told he's not allowed to enter the UK. He made the headlines when he announced plans to burn copies of the Koran to mark the anniversary of the 9-11 attacks. A senior Metropolitan Police Commander will be asked to account for false information he gave to MPs when he denied that plainclothes officers were used at the G20 demonstrations. Commander Bomb Broadhurst uh, gave the evidence to the Home Affairs Select Committee, which has now been shown to be inaccurate. A £30-a-week grant some teenage students uh, get to help them with books and travel is being scrapped. Despite protests, MPs have voted to get rid of the education maintenance allowance, saving around half a billion pounds. Check on the road for you this morning. Jay Louise. Conversation with me, James O'Brien, this morning from 10. Morning, everybody. It's nice to have you company. It's Steve Allen's early breakfast on LBC 97.3. Still to come, the story that makes me cry. Every time I look at it now, it just makes me cry, I'm afraid, all the way through. But uh, here is the uh, oh, a story about Jedward as well. Rather bizarre story, quite clearly put out by PR. You can always tell PR puffs, can't you, because they're rubbish. It's like, you know, the uh, William and uh, Katie wrote to David Beckham. Well, who would have told the papers that? Answer, the Beckhams. Simple as that. So here is uh, actress uh, Zoe Henry. She plays Rona Goskirk. She's the one who's going out with Paddy. She was going out with... Mar- if you don't see Emmerdale, this will mean absolutely nothing to you. But she was going out with Marlon. Now she's going out with Paddy. And she's pregnant by Paddy. And, of course, everybody hates her in the series because she ruined Marlon's life. Although, frankly, he's the most boring character under the sun. I mean, you could throw him in his own fridge in the pub and we'd be more than happy. But she's, she's looking forward to a sympathetic reaction from the public. Why? Because she's going to have a Down syndrome baby in Emmerdale. And my argument is, isn't it just atrocious that a soap would have to do something like this in order so that a character can go, oh, pu- the, the public have really hated me, now I hope they're going to like me because I'm having, only pretend, a Down syndrome baby. I mean, it's just appalling. It really, it's absolutely disgraceful. I can't think of anything that's been more disgraceful in the history of Emmerdale. Anyway, leaving that to one side, here he is sitting there in his little noddy car heading down. Honestly, to be honest with you, why he doesn't buy a blasted roof, I've got no idea. It's like sitting in a wind tunnel talking to James Whale. Morning! Morning. I'm in my Ferrari, obviously. Well, do you know, I've never, I've never heard such noise in a car. Well, let me tell you, it's quite cosy inside. <laughs> uh, I, I, and for anybody who's interested, I'm just driving past Clackett Lane Services, for all those of you listening to us, on the M25 at the moment. <laughs> Clackett Lane. I've never been to Clackett Lane, but I've heard about it. Well, it's on a little, a little hill, and it does seem to attract quite a lot of... Uh, quite a lot of accidents, and they've they've actually put huge concrete blocks on one of the. Um, there's somebody going past me. Oh. That's unusual. And um, you at thirty miles an hour and everything with your foot close to the floor. <laughs> I know. They put these huge concrete blocks there to stop the foreign wagon drivers parking up and having a sleep. Oh right, <laughs> I've seen those before. <laughs> Anyway, listen, I like Emmerdale. Stop rubbishing it. I didn't rubbish it. I just think it's absolutely atrocious that they have a storyline and the woman goes, oh, I hope the public now like me because I'm having a Down syndrome baby. Yeah, but you have to understand, these people are actresses and actors. They don't think for themselves. Yeah. But, I mean, I I just feel sorry for other people going, what, you think that people expect sympathy? We, We want them to be treated as normal as possible. 
interesting thing is, have you ever seen the most eloquent actor being interviewed? Yes. And as soon as they don't, there are exceptions. Ian McKellen is one, but a lot of them aren't really prepared. Colin Firth, when he when he's being interviewed, it looks as if he really wants to slap you and do something else. <laughs> but of course, he's an amazing actor. Yes. Although, funnily enough, and you you would agree as well, Colin Firth has been around for donkey's years. Well, Stevie, baby, doesn't it give us all hope? Well, it must give you hope, I should imagine. <laughs> I'm mentioned all over the place. <laughs> yes, no, I've heard. But I'd rather not be mentioned in those places. <laughs> yeah, but you were first. Then they gave up with you and talked about me instead. I tell you what amazes me every time, and you'll, you'll discover this when you pick up the papers later, that it's still Jordan, and it's still, you know, this tedious, boring twosome, and they're boring, blooming friends. You wish they'd all shut up and go away. Way. Well, I'd like to know who's interested. I'm not. I mean, who, who reads this stuff? Well, it's on the front page of every paper. Uh, does that mean I'm going to have to do it today? Well, I mean, you will laugh at the Daily Star, who claim that uh, Jordan says that Alex still makes me sleep with him, which, of course, is the biggest pile of rubbish I've ever read in my life. Um, all, all the other papers are saying the same thing. She's called in the lawyers. She, she's going to... And I'm thinking, it's almost like a child who's sitting at home, and you go, give me that, and you go, no, it's mine. And then when they don't want it, they just throw it to one side, as if you could just, you know, get rid of people like that. I mean, it's, it's just very unpleasant, the whole thing. Well, I don't... I mean, I just find her slightly uncomfortable. I mean, uh, it just makes me wonder why some people want to live their lives in the limelight. I mean, and and make... I don't know. I I just fell out of love with Ozzy Osbourne, one of my heroes, when they did the Osbournes. I couldn't understand why people want to do that. Well, in his case, it it was money. And in her case, it was trying to work out, A, how long he was going to live, I think, and B, to make sure that there was enough money in the kitty to support the family. Because up until then, Ozzy wasn't... Until they did the the show The Osbournes, Ozzy's career wasn't really going anywhere. Yeah, but, you know, those people make absolute millions. Mm. Millions. I mean, probably verging on billions. Some of those groups, you know, like ACDC... Uh, like you two. I mean, they just make incredible amounts of money. Although, strangely enough, uh, James, I've got to leave you there because the sound is getting really bad. But you mentioned all this money. Joey from Friends said in the paper the other day that he made a hundred million out of the show. A hundred million. I mean, that is just, it's, you know, it's, it's good money if you can get it. You know, you'd have to be stupid, wouldn't you, to turn the money down. I've never actually disagreed with anybody. People say, oh, it's outrageous how much so-and-so earns. I think, listen, if, if your agent or whoever has negotiated a fee for you and the company have agreed it, well, that's it. It's up to you to live up to the standard. I luckily have never pitched myself too expensive, you know, so I'm, I'm still working. But here is the story that made me cry. And it made me cry first time round. And it's just heartbreaking because it's... Uh, Blake Rice. Now, you remember Blake Rice because he was out with his, uh, with his brother, Jordan, and his mum in Australia, in the car, and the floods came in. So they climbed onto the roof of the car, and Jordan and his mum, Donna, were on the, uh, the roof, and the rescue helicopter came in, and, they, and Jordan said, listen, take, take Blake off first, because he's youngest. Take him off first, thinking that being a bit stronger. Unfortunately, they took... Uh, little Blake Rice off and the car got swept away and both Jordan and Donna died. Now Jordan was only 13 and he had a fear of water and it was just 
you know, out of it, stories like this are just bad anyway, but when you see children who, you know, just look like perfect little angels and all the rest of it, and they do something like that, you can't quite get to grips with it. So they had the funeral yesterday. They both got buried in lovely white coffins, and they got buried uh, mum first and then Jordan on top, because that's the way it should have been. But it was it was what the, the brother said. 200 people heard, uh, heard tributes. And his elder brother, Chris said Jordan had teasingly been known as Weedsy and a Sook, which in, in Australian slang means a bit a sook, a bit of a crybaby. And and he said, as part of his uh, his sort of tribute to his uh, mum and his brother, he says, you were always hanging off, mum. You were petrified of water, heights and even the dark. How wrong was I? I'm not sure I can read this, but it's ever so emotional. It's terrible, really, because he says here, here you go, losing your life to save your brother. What you did took heart, courage and love. You're my little hero, Weedsy. And you, th- and you look at the pictures and you think, God, I tell you, it just is heartbreaking, absolutely heartbreaking. And, and his, his father said the same, and they've got pictures in all the papers today, little, little Blake with the, the two white coffins, just absolutely Terrible, You know, it's the kind of thing that just makes you feel so awful. And then I read this rubbish in the paper about Jordan, and I think to myself, do you know, there, there are better things. Although I do... Qu- I've said twice now, actually, strangely enough. I've, I've said twice to somebody, um, are you sure there's a God? Because I don't think he's looking down on the right people. I don't think he's actually watching... The- How on earth can anybody ever let a child die when there's mass murderers and paedophiles and ghastly people in the world? And somebody said, oh, it's a bit of a test. I said, well, he's bloody testing me, I tell you, because it's getting on my nerves every day. Actually, talking people getting on your nerves every day. There is a lovely story in the paper. I'm afraid we go back to the Christians the other day who run the bed and breakfast. And apparently they were claiming in the papers that, uh, you know, the money is, is, you know, it's let, they had to find £3,800. Well, I'm sorry, you're running a bed and breakfast and you haven't got £3,800 quid. You don't deserve to be around at all because you're obviously not very successful. And they were saying it's left them bereft. Well, of course, they didn't have to pay the money at all because Christian groups sent the money to pay these people off so they haven't had to even dip their hands in their pockets this bigoted old twosome and that's what Brian Reed calls them today he said years ago you'd have seen the sign on the shop window on the on the on the the, uh, the guest house no blacks no Irish no Jews no Asian no that he said they're doing exactly the same why are they any different answer they're not and that's why the courts found against them plus today if you buy the Daily Mail you get a free DVD of upstairs downstairs Mr. Rudson, sir, Ruby and all the rest. I used to love it. What's wrong with uh, deep uh, frozen fish? If it doesn't smell of fish, it's fresh. And uh, Sylvia says, we own the A41 near Elstree. Don't be so ridiculous. Why on earth would I want to go to Elstree? What the dickens is out there? Uh, There's a nice article, uh, face behind the voice of the New Radio Times. It says, stop messing around with your eyes. If you are the last figure, you look bloody good. Where are the wrinkles? You see, you can never tell whether I'm being totally honest about the age... 39, 40, 50, 56, 70. Which one you pick? 18, 19, 17, I think. Oh, 70, though, right. <laughs> and Lynn says, I don't believe it. What lies they print nowadays, you 56? What nonsense! If that's the case, I'd be 53. Nice photo, though. And uh, one here, EastEnders did the Downs syndrome baby story, but the character moved away. They didn't even let the character grow up. Well, because I suppose they look at it long-term and they start thinking, where does this story go? And the answer is, they're just doing it to try and get quick audience figures. Morning, everybody. 28 minutes to six. I see that Jane Goldman... Jane Goldman is, uh 
Jonathan Ross's uh, wife, says young people are still too scared to say they're gay days after Jonathan proudly revealed their daughter is a lesbian. He didn't proudly reveal it. He was asked on Gaydar Radio how he would feel if his daughter was gay. And he said, well, actually, uh, you know, we do have a member of our family who is gay, and I'm quite happy with it. But it didn't come out when she came out. She tweeted this ages ago. You know, people who've, who've known Betty Kitten know that she's been gay for ages. It was like Samantha Fox coming out as a lesbian. Big surprise there to everybody. Although I'm not sure that some people can still quite get to grips with it. Anyway, here he is. He's not a lesbian, as far as I know. Very lively this morning. And probably... <laughs> Although, actually, it would be quite interesting to see you dressing up as a character from The Killing of Sister George. <laughs> no, uh, I, I'm not a lesbian. I can, I can confirm that. <laughs> uh, much to the delight of my wife. Exactly. And, and, and I, I, I'm sadly not a regular listener to gay radio. No. But I, I hear it's very good. It's very good indeed. They have a... But they, they were presumably just asking a question. I can't remember how it, how it came up in conversation. And they just said, how would you feel if one of your children came home and said that they were gay? Well, in fact, of course... Oh, it's I mean, Well, I mean, it, it is such a silly question, but I suppose even in this day and age, you still have to ask people, because in certain parts of the country, it'd be a case of, I'd have them killed. <laughs> and, is it really still like that? Oh, absolutely, absolutely, uh, without a shadow of a doubt. I remember some friends of mine who are quite well known now, uh, one of them in particular, and he used to work for a radio station up in, let's just call it, past Watford, and uh, <laughs> and I said to the people you work with, no, you're gay. And he went, you're joking. He said, okay. I'd be ostracised. He said, absolutely. Uh, he said there was hints that somebody, there was a rumour that one of the other people there was, was gay. He said, and that was it. He said, you've never seen anything like it. It's very, they, they just don't, it, you know, you, you tend to forget in London and in show business, nobody gives a flying forex. Well, no, I didn't think anyone anywhere gave, gave yeah. uh, you know, uh, any notice to it. But you get people who years. actually pretend to be gay and who aren't gay. Ah, uh, yes. Well, that's because they can't get a gig. That, exactly. That's <laughs> what it is, isn't it? There used to be a guy years ago called, called Duncan Norvell. Do you remember him, the comedian? Uh, oh, yes, I do. And yes. he used to go, chase me, chase me. And people yeah. go, he's so gay, isn't he? He turned out to be straight. Yeah, with four kids. With four and, children uh, and women in every court and all the rest of it. <laughs> he's disappeared now. <laughs> Tempted to say up his own, but it doesn't matter. <laughs> uh, uh, so, so there we are. The, the revelation that Jonathan Ross's daughter is gay, is but gay. we already know that because she tweeted it. Yeah, but the, but the worst thing is that you're now going to get it in every newspaper. That she's now going to be interviewed. She'll probably get her own reality show on the strength of it, on the strength of coming out as a lesbian to her parents. She's actually well, said today it was difficult telling them. Can't imagine why. He's the most open person I've ever ever met. Yeah, I'm quite dear to Jonathan Ross. I think he's quite fun. Um, it's, uh, I, it's a great pity that he's no longer on the airwaves because he, he uh, you know, he, he kind of shot it from the hip, didn't he? <laughs> well, yes, that's he was, what he thought. I think he so, was a little bit base with what he did. That's like somebody, you know, phoning him up and going, "Yeah, I've just been with your daughter," and seeing how he likes it. He wouldn't like it either. It was an equally rude, vulgar thing to do. But there again, that's how he's always sold himself. But if, if, it, if, if it was his daughter or son, if they were talking about Harvey Kirby and things like that, he wouldn't like it at all. Mm. He'd be the first mm. one yeah, to go yeah, complain to the papers how disgusting these people were talking about my daughter in such a disgusting way. And yet that's exactly what he did. Well, uh, but he did, he did uh, re- revitalise and rejuvenate Andrew Sachs' career. Well, it has to be said, now, yes, we don't did. talk about that, do we? I mean, also, we sweep that under the carpet. The yes. fact that Andrew Sachs hadn't been working for years. 
But he didn't need to, because, I mean, Andrew Sachs was uh, was sort of, he'd done a lot of, strange enough, he did a lot of his voiceovers and stuff like that in the style of Manuel. There used to be a (laughs) Teach Yourself Spanish programme on the television, and he he talked like this, you know, like like you sort of imagine. It was most bizarre. Well, do you know what? Years ago, Radio Jordan, um, not... not <laughs> oh She's got a radio station as well now, has she? <laughs> Don't start with a Peter Andre. <laughs> Actually, Peter Andre's brother lives down here, and he was on the radio the other day, and oh, I was, one God, of my colleagues was doing a programme, and I twiddled the dial, and she had this young guy on. He sounded very confident, speaking uh, about his new album and playing in a pub or something. And it turns out to be Chris Andre. Oh, right. So I phoned up the presenter, who's a friend, and I said, is this Peter Andre's brother? Yes, it is. And I said, well, that's incredible. He, I mean, it's really lovely-sounding guy, you know, oh. um, very talented, very, uh, very well-spoken, and um, I think he's got a little restaurant or something. Oh, I think I don't know. I was how old is he? I can't be. He didn't sound very old. I don't know. I haven't met him. Didn't oh. sound very old. But he's, but he's got a little restaurant already, and he sings. He sings. He's got a little restaurant. He's. He um, doesn't wait planting. a minute. He, he doesn't actually have all the people in there, and he sits on a stool and goes, She may be the face I can't forget. <laughs> and this one's for you, my darling. Yeah, for, for you, everybody. My brother, Peter Andre. Look, picture here, picture. Uh, <laughs> it's a real signature, not eBay rubbish, you know. <laughs> exactly. This is genuine. <laughs> <laughs> I, well, I might have to go down and have a look at that. I think you I'll, have I'll, to. So, uh, I can't remember where I was going there. I was going somewhere with that story, and then Peter Andre's brother. Oh, Radio Jordan. That's right. Yes. <laughs> Sounds does she actually, she actually changing the subject and just sort of going back to Jordan, does she still have the house over there? Yeah, yeah. They've got the pink, well, what's known as the pink palace. Well, who's in it? Because, I mean, she's over here all the time, and she hasn't left this country, sadly. Well, they're not together anymore, are they? Uh, um, actually, no, I don't but know then... whether it's his. Is, Is it, it his? I don't know. I think it might be his. I think you need to investigate this further. Oh, do you know what? This week, I started a historic Cyprus tour uh, out in my little car going round churches and monasteries. Oh. Yesterday, I was at St. Nicholas in Famagusta. I love that. And uh, I made it just interrupt this tour of monasteries and churches to go to Jordan's house. Do you know, <laughs> so, I mean, are you doing this, this tour because you feel it's a pilgrimage? It is slightly... Um, uh, th- th- there, is a, there is a kind of... Uh, a religious t- tint to it. Yes. Uh, I've, I've always wanted... You know, there are 1,800 churches here. Good Lord. And monasteries and monuments. How and fascinating. Some... All right, don't put the top ten <laughs> in your top of your blazer, then. <laughs> anyway, so uh, really uh, there's a book written in 1938 <laughs> oh by <God>. Rupert Gunnis. <laughs> Sorry. Stop right. I'm going. I'm going to go and talk to Radio London. <laughs> <laughs> I feel quite ill. <laughs> so right, there's this book written in 1938. I'm not going to tell you anymore because yes, you're clearly you are. not. Yes, you are. Because otherwise, I'm going to get on a flight and come out there and tell your wife. No, if you I'll own talk truths. about Jordan's ass or something. What do you want me to do? <laughs> no, tell me about the churches. <laughs> <laughs> right. So there are 1,800 churches. I'm going to. I'm going to go and visit them all. Between talking to you and oh. getting mildly irritated. That is nice, actually. That is nice. <laughs> Yesterday I went to St. Nicholas in Famagusta, which is a 13th century cathedral. And they turned it into a mosque in the 15th century. Right. And uh, it's, it's like the cathedral at Reims. It's a very beautiful place. If you would like, I can email you a couple of photographs. That would be, you know, that would be nice, actually. Great. Then, then I'll do that straight yeah. after the broadcast. Oh, thank you. No problem. And, and, and maybe a current picture of you. Yes, yes. 
I'm, I may, I may yeah, update my what, Facebook. Can, can you send them to Amanda and then she'll, we'll, we'll make sure that they go up on the website? When you say a current picture of me, it's the one, I, I'm sure I did send you one recently with, with me and Chaz. That was taken this decade, you know. Yeah, that's what, yeah. <laughs> Wait, when I say recent, I'm thinking within the past two years. Ah, right, OK, that yeah. recent. That'd have been um, nice. I, w- I will be updating my status because uh, Leapy Lee has just confirmed himself as a friend on Facebook. Oh, good Lord, little arrows in your clothing, little arrows little in arrow. your hair. He has when a pub in, in Spain. Fi- oh, has he? Yeah, it's got a pub in Spain. I don't think it... You know, a lot of people went to live this Spanish dream. Yes. And it all, it all went... It all went a bit pear-shaped. I think... I don't know whether that's the case, Tim, but I get the feeling, because I remember him sending an email saying, does anyone want to buy a pub? I said, yeah. ah. You know, uh, you know... You know things are going a little bit wrong <laughs> when you're flogging a pub in Spain. Yes. You never want a pub, believe you me. You never want a pub. You no, I don't. Actually, I've, I've, I must just mention because it's just—it's just—I've just noticed they've just done this that, that funeral on the on Sky of the you know the little Australian boy who lost his life with his mum in the floods, mm. and they both got buried together, and mm. uh, it was really really sad. And when I read it out this morning, it's you're hard pushed not to choke on what his older brother said about him. And I've just mm. noticed that the Sky News reader this morning—they come back after the report and she's got tears in her eyes as well. Mm, it's wow. affected everybody. Yeah, a dreadful story. In dreadful fact, it was story. a week ago today, wasn't it? Yes, but out of all the things, it's the fact that the little brother is still alive because his middle brother said, no, take him first, and then the flood swept them away, and that was it. But even when yeah. she came back, she had tears in her eyes. Very oh. rarely that, you know, people get affected by news stories. I mean, God, and I can talk about Jordan till the cows come home, and the only tears you'll find in my eyes are laughter, I'm afraid. So, uh, listen, yeah. will, will you send us a picture? Of Jordan? No, no, not of Jordan, of you. Of me? You want a picture, you want a photograph of me? Yeah, we want a current photo, not one of these touched-up things, thank you. Or, oh, look, you know. I don't do photoshopping and touch-up and teeth, yeah, wa- teeth whitening. What you see is what you get, Steve. OK, t- um, touch it up, uh, then. OK, touch it up. It will clearly be a picture of somebody else. <laughs> I will so. do it now. Yeah. And, then, and we want a picture of some of the churches over there, because we've got a lot of oh, listeners look. who constantly say to me, did you speak to Nathan this morning, how is life over there? There's a lot of exes who, who live here. Yes, look, I, you know, this, this pilgrimage around the island on both sides of the island, the Republic of Cyprus and the North, with my book and my... You know I have a lovely little sports car. There's room for you. Yes. Get over, I'll shoot you around the country. Yes, literally shoot me around the country. <laughs> it's an offer I can't refuse, I suppose, really. I've never been I'll, there. I just wondered, do you have a four-star hotel? Three-star? Three oh, gosh, yes, of course. Yes. Of course, of course, of course. There's no, no slumming it. Uh, uh, what's the food like? It's super-duper. Uh, look, it depends on where you're going. If, if, if I'm in the north of Cyprus, like yesterday I was in Famagusta and uh, Salamis, I'll, I'll shoot back home because I live not too far from there. If I'm oh, going no. somewhere like... Nicosia. Obviously, it's the Hilton on Macarios Avenue. Oh. If it's Paphos, it'll be the Aphrodite Resort. The Aphrodite so, Resort? Sorry. So, so we'll be fine. That's lovely. And are, are there old ruins to see, apart from your house and Mrs? Uh, there are lots of old ruins in addition to us, yes. <laughs> in fact, if old ruins are your bag... Yeah, I love old uh, ruins. There, there are more here than there are on Capital Gold. It's <gasps> fantastic. Wow. How <laughs> nice. I'm go- Actually, because Amanda said, if I don't go, she will. Come on, Amanda, get your rucksack kick. I don't think I'll she does rucksacks, started. actually. Oh, she does do rucksacks, apparently. I do rucksacks. Rucksack. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Everything lives in the back of my rucksack. Ooh. Throw it in the back of the car, off we go. I, I, I tend to be just carrier bags, I'm afraid. I do do carrier bags. It's, it's, my, my life is carrier bags. I can't help it. I'm like Edna the inebriate woman. I mean, I'm there. 
I used to be like that when I used to go and do my late night program. I'd carry all my discs and, yeah. and things when I carry it by test. And I heard someone point out that I looked like a vagrant, a scruff bag. <laughs> I said, okay, I'll buy a rucksack. You, then. a vagrant, a scruff bag. I don't believe a word of it. No, 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 no. Honestly. Don't believe a word of it. <laughs> That's been said. No, no, no. Well, actually, I mean, if, if you can send us details of some of the posh hotels, we'll need to vet them, of course, for security and things like that. I don't see a problem with that. I know every hotel on this island. Uh, the, uh, tell me what your requirements are. Your well, we're looking for sort you? of six-star luxury at three-star prices. Six-star luxury at three-star prices is probably something we can do. Okay. Don't do kosher, though. No. cakes in the winter. You have to go to the bakery for that. OK, that's all right. I'm just, I'm just hoping, I mean, you know, can we have a room overlooking some water or something? Uh, Steve, we're, we're on an island. Uh, just about every window overlooks water. No sorry, when I say there. we, I, I do beg your pardon. I didn't mean we, I meant me. I'm so you. sorry. Yes, no, it wasn't the uh, royal we. No, I'm not taking you a man. She got all excited now, bless her up. She started doing a shopping list. <laughs> I, will, I will get you a hotel on Governor's Beach, which is uh, down, nice. down the coast, about 100 kilometres down right. the coast, overlooking the sea near Limassol. Uh, they can set you up your radio studio and you can broadcast from there for a week. I think you'll love oh, it. Oh, how nice. And the morning oh, dip, She'll have to go, apparently, if we're going to do a radio show. All Amanda, of a sudden, I'm taking a downward turn. <laughs> <laughs> All of a sudden, I'm maybe not so someone, <laughs> You may need someone to do the sports news as well. So yes. Bear that in mind. Yes, and, and, and travel. So, Jay Louise would have to come out there as well. Well, I imagine she would. We can always order a little travel desk out. Oh, she'd need something a little bit more than a little travel desk, <laughs> let me tell you. She's looking for something fairly impressive here. <laughs> and any of you fobbing off with old rubbish a tap for us, thank you. Just let me know the week you're coming, and that's the week I'll be at uh, New York. Excellent. So Bless I'm... your heart. <laughs> I'll leave the details of the airport for you. <laughs> yeah, just pick I got my new passport, desk. by the way. Uh, 180 euros for a British passport now. Isn't that crazy? 180 uh, euros? How much is yeah. that? Oh, I don't know what that is. Well, uh, that's how I'm just sterling. The only people that are sterling... What about £160 sterling... pounds for a passport? Yeah, it's crazy, isn't it? Really? It took 14 days. No, it can't be uh, 160. Where'd you get it from? Uh, the British Embassy in Madrid. £160? Mm. Never anything like it. I, I shall find out more. I think somebody's taking you for a ride. Anyway, well, I've got to go, so I've got to read the news. If the British High Commissioner, I'll, I'll, I'll have words. Well, exactly. I, I, I'll help you as well. Nathan, lovely to talk to you. And you, take care of yourself. Talk to you next week. Ta-ra. Bye. Nathan Morley. Oh, my goodness, mate. Dipping babies in fonts. Well, they're, they're, they're christening it. Of course, the baby's gone quite blue. This poor newsreader, she's going through terrible... She's having real trauma. <laughs> the news. She just watched this thing. She was leaning into the camera watching it going, Oh, my God, what are they doing to this baby? Very funny. 13 to 6. These are the headlines. The controversial American pastor Terry Jones is asking for his ban from the UK to be lifted. He sparked international outrage when he announced plans to burn copies of the Koran on the anniversary of 9-11. People living near London City Airport will find out later whether they've won a High Court challenge against an increase in the number of flights. Residents are worried about the level of noise and air pollution. And Thames Water have called an amnesty on unpaid accounts ahead of a major audit of properties with currently escaping bills. People who don't currently pay for their water supply will have six weeks to come forward and won't have to make any outstanding payments. Let's have a check on the roads for you this morning. Get you there nice and quick. Jay Louise. Thank you very much. Conversation with me, Nick Ferrari, this morning from 7. Morning, everybody. So, do you remember the trouble I had with AOL a short while ago? AOL are my broadband server, and so I get put through, because you, you can't go anywhere else apart from India. The, 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 their call centre is obviously in India, and that's where you get put through to. So, yesterday, I get um, 
do you remember that my, my card was cloned? Surprisingly, about two weeks after I'd phoned them to say the card had changed and it got cloned. And, of course, as I didn't use it for anything else apart from speaking to somebody in India, I thought there was a very good chance that it might have been cloned over there because I don't use it for anything else. So, anyway, yesterday I get another letter from AOL. Your account's £13 something in arrears. And I'm thinking, well, wait a minute. If it's in arrears... How is it in arrears? We paid off these arrears last time. £13 something. So, call India. So, I call India. So, first of all, you have to... Uh, tell them what your phone number is. OK, now here, here comes the, the, this strange, bizarre thing that you have. So in India, I get this guy who might or might not have been called Prakesh or something like that. Very good English. So he said, can I have your phone number? I said, well, I've just given it. I've just keyed it in on the keypad. So we give it again anyway. And, uh, and then he says, can I have um, the first, uh, f- first of all, your name? So I give him my name. So I go, Alan, Steve. And he goes, no, your complete name. I said, that is my complete name. Okay, then we do the address and we get to the end of it. He says the last four digits of your credit card. So I give him the last four digits and he goes, I can't proceed with this uh, call because uh, you haven't given me the correct information. I said, what correct information? He said, your address. I said, well, I think I know where I live. So we go around the houses for about two or three minutes on. No, I can't. And I'm thinking, just supposing you know, I had made a mistake on my address, which is highly unlikely, because I know the postcode. I've lived there for quite a while. And and he's then sort of arguing with me. I can't... And I'm thinking, but wait a minute, I'm paying off arrears. Why would I want to pay somebody else's arrears? How stupid are you, AOL? So, anyway, so I then go, listen, we're, we're going nowhere here. I'm telling you I'm who I say I am, because I'm thinking I'm dealing with an idiot. Give me a supervisor. So I get a point blank, we don't have any supervisors. I'm thinking, what, you're self-regulating? That's a bit of a worry, isn't it? So I said, you must have a supervisor. No, we don't have any supervisor. I said, well, I tell you what, I'll change supplier. Thank you for your call. He puts the phone down. So I then go on to my AOL online, and there's no mention on there of anything about, you know, in arrears or anything at all. I'm beginning to wonder whether it's a giant scam. I'm not actually speaking to Prakash in, uh, in Bangladesh or wherever he happens to be in Mumbai. I'm actually speaking to somebody in Birmingham who sent out all these fake letters, because I'm beginning to think maybe I'm being scammed here. And I'm not too sure whether or not it is. So anyway, so I, I spoke to a friend of mine, he said, leave it. He said, because it's £13. In the letter, they threatened to cut you off. Well, I tell you what, AOL, you cut me off. You cut me off. Go on, cut me off. Go on, do whatever you like. I'll just take it to another supplier. Don't bother me, matey. And so I then go onto the internet. I cannot find anything that says I owe the money, thirteen pound or otherwise. So I'm just waiting. I'll let you know the outcome of it because at the moment it's just bullying from on high. The letter says, "If you do not pay this, you know, you will be cut off." And you think what for thirteen pounds? How how desperate? Well, I didn't think they'd use it for thirteen pounds. It just seems very odd, doesn't it? I've looked at the letter and I'm thinking, why can't you... S- yes, if you've got problems paying or doing that, why can you not speak to somebody who's here? Why is there not somebody I can... I can do it over the internet. I'll pay it over the internet, but I want to make sure it's them and not some scam. Drives me, Matt. You probably have the same things as well. Uh, John, thank you very much indeed. He sent us the Radio Times article. Did we mention we were in the Radio Times yesterday? Face behind the voice. Steve Allen, LBC. Very good picture. Uh, Noreen says, Watched Mary Portas, all about customer service. She said, I spent a, a pleasant 25 minutes trying to get hold of our bank tonight. Don't you love it when, when you get that thing? You're held in a queue and will be answered shortly. We value your call. Your call is important to us. In other words, what they're saying is we really can't, we're just sitting here with our feet up, having a fag at the moment and a drink, and we get round to you when we feel like it. And she says, not impressed. 
It really is true that places like Marks, John Lewis, Debenhams are far superior to others that I'd better not name, she says. We looked in this particular shop. She had a quick peer in Primark and shuddered. It appealed... It's a, it's a different market. They're all different markets. You know, wh- whichever you look at it and wh- whichever way you look at it, you've got Marks and Spencers, which people would assume would be the top supermarket. Well, I'm not buying fish. And uh, <laughs> I've now become paranoid over food. I'm now not sure where it all comes from. It's, yeah, that's why she's, she, I'm not going vegetarian. I've seen the, I'm not, I've seen the way you've turned out. I'm definitely not going vegetarian. Good God in heaven. I don't want to start traipsing down to the beach in Santa Monica with a towel under my arm and then come back with it wrapped around my chest, looking like sort of Deborah Carr from here to eternity. It's ridiculous. Anyway, Brian has started his diet. They went for a meal on Wednesday night. He had just, just the eight roast potatoes. <laughs> He's losing big time with his diet, isn't he? Hope Mr Chaz is well. Well, I'm looking forward to a new new picture, which is good. Thank you to Bridget, who says you were referred to by a rather elderly, fat radio presenter on another station. I get three minutes of mentions. They all listen. They all listen on the way in. They all... Li- even Dave Berry. Dave Berry listens on the way in. And if, if, if I mention him favourably, which I always have to, because he's so thin, I feel like he should be taken out for a good meal and you should fatten up Dave Berry, XFM. I'm not offering because, you know, because I, I, I have a horrible feeling he would eat for the country. Because some people don't weigh anything and just look very slim, but yet they eat tonnes of food. I, I'm the opposite. I hardly eat anything and yet put on... I mean, I don't know where it comes from. I've only got to eat two baguettes, you know, in the morning to feel bloated. Two baguettes. <laughs> two baguettes. That's like a joke, doesn't it? Two baguettes. Probably a lot, actually. But, uh, no, I don't have two baguettes. But I'm going to talk to Alan Carr today. And uh, Alan Carr is uh, doing his Chatty Man tour, which means that this week's In Conversation, if you didn't download last week's, shame on you. I was going to tell you who the How Low winner was, but I can't because I've not answered their phone yet. And they'll want to know that they've won a Sony Vio laptop, but they might have gone on holiday or they might work for one of the airlines. So... Uh, this week there'll probably be another how low, but on Sunday morning the in conversation is going to be Alfie Bow. You'll like that conversation and Alan Carr. Is it Alan Carr? It is. Yeah, I think we have Al- Alan Carr and Alfie Bow. If, if it's a change, I'll, I'll let you know. Uh, t- I can't believe tomorrow's Friday. <gasps> Gosh, another weekend. Uh, another one here, very quickly. Oh yeah, we're going to talk to Roger Foss a bit later because he's, he's finally found a show that works at the Arts Theatre, because they've had a number of uh, shows which haven't worked as well. Uh, Kate Walsh, thank you, Ross, is the person who's there. I don't know whether they're using them on OK Television, because they've axed this live from Studio 5, which just ghastly. Used to have Ian Wright on it, and he was possibly one of the worst presenters I've ever seen. Sally says, I watched the programme about the fishing. Terrible condition the poor prawns are suffering in. They eat anything. But it was this man in the field in Bangladesh whose toilet, and they opened the door, is over the lake where the prawns are. And and you think, oh, God. I, I wouldn't... And the trouble is, they all... All the fish gets mixed up together. And even the people in the market said, we don't know where it all comes from. So, to be honest with you, rather than risk anything, I'm not eating any of it. I'll probably starve and probably become anorexic and it'll just be a nightmare. And all for the sake of a Channel 4 programme called Dispatches. Sally wants to know, after they were injected with water to make them larger, which was disgusting, is it only Bangladesh? Well, I've seen them fish... I mean, I'm assuming the word fresh means that they go out on the Bering Straits, they drag up crabs, they, they put the... But it's not like that at all, even though some of it's like that. Some of these places, and they source, it's cheap fish. You think you're buying cod. You're not. You're buying this thing called cobbler, which comes from Vietnam. It's like a catfish. 
And it's just disgusting. But apparently you can't tell the difference. They'll eat anything. It's what a lot of fish and chips... I mean, you know, I want to see a sign-up where they get this fish from, but apparently it's so difficult to find out. But if ever you see cheap things, you know, in uh, in sort of uh, in a, a fish shop or a chicken shop or something like that, you can bet your, bet your bottom dollar, you know, that, uh, that that's how it would be. Uh, Diane says, I was mentioned again yesterday. And uh, Chris says, I think he was amused with something you said. He, he was joking that nobody outside London would have heard of you and he was giving you publicity. He says that, you know, he literally hangs on. He might reveal my true age. A little bit late, Radio Times did it yesterday, I think, if, of course, you believe that. And he only knows because he's heard it from another friend of ours. So uh, I did go round, actually, to somebody's house a while ago to discover that, uh, that particular presenter sitting there, quiet as a mouse, Quiet as I'm hardly said a word. Not boo to a goose. Nothing like that. It's all, it's all a front. Uh, eight for eight five oh. Oh, put the Haribos down, says Paul. Paddy's not the father. Marlon it. That's right. Marlon's the father of the baby, because he knows, but she's with Paddy in Emmerdale. Oh, it's so confusing, isn't it? So Marlon's having the Down syndrome baby. And uh, Miss Whittacombe, much as we would like it, but he's not dancing on ice. No, she's just, it's the Strictly Come Dancing, how do you solve the problem like? It's all very confusing. I've got no idea half the time. €180 Euros for a new British passport. We don't think that's right, actually. Hope somebody's not cheated, Nathan. This is... Morning, every eight minutes past six. It's LBC 97.3, Thursday morning. Not raining, is it? Why are lights in London so dim? You know, here we are in, in a studio and we've got one, two, three, four, five, one, two, three, twenty lights above me. It's like being in a sauna. And, uh, and we've got lights, you know, on the thing, and the lights on the desk and there's all sorts of bits of light. And I can see everything. Outside, street lights in London, small, small wonder there is crime. You can't see anything. You go around Trafalgar Square and it's, it's quite dim. You know, can't we put big, bright lights in so that it keeps away potential troublemakers? Because it's, London is so dark because we've got these old-fashioned lights. Pretty though they are. You know, some of them are gas still. And I think they should be brighter. Put some nice halogen lights in around Trafalgar Square. Illuminate the place. Then you can, you can find people who are sort of breaking the law. Uh, Jordan's tacky divorce writes Brian Reed. Can we invoke obscenity laws to make her keep her love split out of the public view? Go away. I agree. And as for the price of petrol, which is rocketing, he says, where are the mass protests from farmers, hauliers, rural Tories and Countryside Alliance? He goes, oh, sorry, Labour aren't in power, are they? Because nobody seems to be complaining about this huge... Last time, I remember we had lorries backed up on the, uh, the, um, the Marylebone flyover, complaining about the price of petrol. Now it's gone through the roof. And nobody's doing a thing. We're all just going, like me. I'm going, oh, well, that's what it costs. I've got to put it in there. If I could run the thing on vegetable oil, I probably would. Uh, we've talked about bad customer service. In fact, we've been doing it for years on the programme. And now Mary Portis has obviously listened to the programme and thought, you know, that's a good idea. Let's do some undercover camera work in, in shops and find out just how bad the service is. And the truth of the matter is it's blooming appalling. And we put up with it. Because if, if you don't put up with it and you're dealing with somebody on the phone, they either hang up or they just turn away from you. You know, you do get that. So I mean, it's like, you know, you, you go to somewhere in, uh, I don't know, where, well, I can't think of anything, actually. But you get a lot of, um, a lot of Polish girls working in, in Starbucks. And we have a different sense of humour. Whichever way you look at it, I can, somebody will say to me, uh, how many are there of you if, you if you're in a restaurant? And you look around, there's just two people standing there and you go, well, how many do you see? We call that irony. They call that 
I just ask you a question. How many, how many, do you, and so it, it doesn't quite work. So is that good service or bad service? And the answer is it's probably bad service because nobody's told people about how you have to look after customers. So we've talked about bad customer service, but where have you had excellent customer service? Where do you get good customer service? I went yesterday to buy a hat in Twickenham because we've got a hat shop. And uh, the guy who owns it is Roy. He's been there for two and a half years. And uh, he's, he's sort of in the wrong end of Twickenham. It's not the best bit. And we've got loads of empty shops. Twickenham is full of empty shops, mainly because we've got greedy landlords who put the rent up. They couldn't care less whether somebody's in it or somebody's not in it. It makes no difference to them. So people disappear. The shop remains empty. It gets boarded up. And what, what do we end up with? We end up with either with charity shops with estate agents or chronically awful food, fast food places. And that's what we end up with. So, but where have you had excellent customer service? I've always said the best telephone service has always been Lakeland. You know, the plastic company who sell all the, you know, cakes and sweets at Christmas and cookware and this kind of stuff. That's always been the best customer service. Uh, I've I've tended to find that customers... Sometimes you, you go into somewhere and it's difficult to actually get people to notice you. You do stand there and you, you sort of think... I don't think anybody's noticed it. And then sometimes you can't get rid of them. So what, when have you had good customer service? 84850-LBC973. That's on the tweet. Or email steve at lbc.co.uk. Um, one here says, Joey. He says, I've been with AOL for 12 years and have never had to give a credit card over the phone. I used to update details online then set up direct debit, so never have arrears. Well, I don't want to give direct debit. I don't want things on direct debit. They say I can save money. But they say, do it when you speak to our customer. And I don't want to give that over the phone. I really don't. I don't mind doing it online, provided it's, uh, it's safe. And, um, and they do... If you had an arrears, you have to phone up India. I don't know. Um, they might be Mumbai. I've got no idea. We'll find out. Uh, a big thank you to Steve. His abusive tones lift my spirits to the, uh, to the maximum. Lying here with a broken leg and listening to Steve. He's on a par with morphine. That's a nice thought, isn't it? Steve Allen, cheaper than the NHS. Not sure whether it's, that's the uh, the way forward. I had to agree with Brian Reed, and you will agree with uh, Brian Reed as well, because he talks about the 1940s and his granddad struggling to find work on Liverpool's docks because he was Catholic. In the 1950s, signs hung in London boarding houses saying no blacks, dogs or Irish, and until recently, Jews and Asians and women were banned from certain golf clubs. I mean, you can't believe it, can you? But it's called bigotry. All acts were justified on the grounds that the people who set the rules had a right to uphold their personal belief, and if opponents viewed those beliefs as being inspired by ignorance, fear or hatred, tough. He says, thankfully, we've become more civilised than such acts of discrimination are outlawed. That's why a judge found against Mr and Mrs Bull, who refused to let two gay men share a room in their Cornwall B&B, forcing them to pay £3,600 in damages. He says, I'm baffled that so-called devout Christians still harbour such prejudices, but even more puzzled that their outraged apologists claim the bulls are being discriminated against and that Christians have become a victimised tribe. These people really do need to have a word with their self-righteous selves, especially the Christian Institute activists, who stood outside court with placards saying, it's their home, aping the rednecks who mob Bible Belt schools demanding a teacher be lynched for having an abortion. Of course it's their home and they can refuse entry to anyone who offends them. They can stick pins in Graham Norton voodoo dolls, he says, and also uh, the Port Burn Paul O'Grady effigies, if it makes them feel better. But if they run a business, they abide by the law of the land, one of them being you don't drag your bigotry into the public domain. And that's exactly right. These people are bigots, out-and-out bigots. As I say, they probably harbour all sorts of other peculiar things. So when you see a lot of people standing going, it's their home, it is... 
provided they don't run it as a bed and breakfast. You run a bed and breakfast and uh, you're into a whole new ball game. And that's why it costs this pair of elderly bigots £3,600. Because let's face it, bigotry killed millions of Jews and millions of other people. So we stamp on it very quickly. Quarter past six. News headlines with Sam Pittis. With me, James O'Brien, this morning from ten. Morning, a very nice heavy company. Clive says if you get a British passport abroad, you pay a premium. The UK price is £77.50. This was after Nathan said he spent, I think, €180. Euros. That's some premium. Nearly twice as much, I would think, actually. And uh, Colin says the same. It's increased 269%. Since 1998. See, I don't remember it. I thought a British passport used to be about 12 quid. Because when, when I did mine, I got a year passport. I used to get visitors' passports. Don't ask me why. But uh, I have a 10-year passport. Now, sadly, it runs out next year, so I'm going to have to cough up that much. But I'm sure that the last time I, I bought it, it was about £12. Ridiculous, isn't it? Mind you, I suppose, as Steve says, I live in Vancouver... In Canada, if I renew, I have to send my passport to the British Embassy in Washington, D.C. They charge 128, excluding postage. If I renew in the U.K., it's only £77.50. Can't take that long, can it, to process it and put a photo on, but there you go. Anyway, joining us now, off uh, off to the theatre, this time to the Arts Theatre near Leicester Square, it's Roger Foss. Morning, Roger. Good, good morning, Steve. Yes, off to the Arts Theatre, not uh, more than a stone's throw from where you're sitting at this very moment, yes. I think, it's just around the corner, isn't it's it? It's a, 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 a spit away, as they say. One of those uh, West End theatres that's uh, actually unusual in a way because it's, it's nice and small and intimate, and there aren't really many like that, are there? But um, I, I, I've always thought a bit sad about the arts theatre over the last couple of years because it's, it's often closed, and, and they seem to have productions on there that very often don't work. I remember there was a musical called All Bob's Women. We talked about it on air, oh, actually, yes, that opened yes. and closed within a week. Um, and and uh, and another one with Jesse Wallace in it called Haunted that oh. I'll never forget. It was so awful. But but suddenly uh, this new well she was all right. But it was terrible. <laughs> Supposed to be scary, but oh dear. Um, but this is a, a new show that that's just opened this week called Woody Says, and it's uh, billed as a new musical. But it's not really a, a musical as such. This is the life and music of Woody Guthrie. Now. Um, I, I must say, I've never really been a, a, a Woody Guthrie fan, as it were. I've never really quite, you know, bought into all that music from the 20s and 30s, the sort of folk protest stuff. Um, and I did think this was going to be one of those jukebox musicals, a bit like Jersey Boys, you know, with all the hits strung together, or the show that's coming up soon in the West End, Million Dollar Quartet, which is uh, a kind of combination of Elvis Presley, Johnny Cash, Carl Person. Perkins and Jerry Lee Lewis all in one show. But no, this is the story of Woody Guthrie, but it, it weaves together uh, with four live musicians, all these songs of his, uh, uh, within his story. And I thought it was absolutely fantastic. It really is totally compelling. And, and you follow this story of um, Woody Guthrie, Guthrie travelling around the country during the Depression years. You know that period when got all those dust bowl migrants and agricultural mm. workers and all of that during the great depression traveling for miles to find work down and outs and hobos and fruit pickers trapped in company store credit and all of that sort of thing you read about in uh, john steinbeck's work you know the greats of roth and of mice and men and mm. it's it's just evokes another period uh, and then, of course, goes on to the 50s and 60s. But what you get uh, are these four amazing musicians all playing live 
acoustic music, uh, led by a guy called David Lutkin, who, who plays Woody Guthrie, but um, he's got three musicians with him. They're all folk musicians. So you get on stage, which is so rare in, in these days when everything's amplified, acoustic musicians. So you get these fiddles, guitars, double bass, banjo, <laughs> mandolin, um, even, even a Jew's harp. And at one point, and of course, obviously the harmonica, but at one point, one of the guys also plays the spoons very well. I, I've got to say the music is, is, is finger-plucking good. It's Ooh. absolutely amazing to sit there and listen to that kind of yeah. folksy music played live. And, of course, you get these songs, which are pretty hard, some of them, like, or, you know, political, because, of course, he was, he was a red, wasn't he, uh, Woody Guthrie? He was a, he was a, he was a communist sympathiser, <laughs> and a lot of people were at that time. Um, but a, an amazing song that really hits home today called Jolly Bankers. Mm. And then all the other kind of Woody Guthrie numbers like This Train Is Bound For Glory. And the one that I know, I suppose all Americans know, is This Land Is Your Land. Which, this um, land is your land, land this land is my land, 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 land from da-da-da-da to the new home. That's yeah. right. You've got it. Yeah. I can never well, remember where we're going that. to it, with it, though. I remember that. Yeah. I, quite, I think Joan Byers sung it, didn't she? I think so, yeah, and 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 um, Bruce Springsteen, of course, did it uh, yeah. at uh, Obama's inaugural yeah. do with uh, Pete Seeger, uh, who was a great buddy of Woody uh, Guthrie. So uh, you've got all those songs all all within this show, and um, I think part of the joy of it is, as I say, apart from the story and also the tragedy too, because you know Woody Guthrie travelling around with his guitar all over the country and kind of losing out on his family life, and then. Sadly, at the end, dying um, with, after a, a, a long illness with uh, Huntington's disease, which, mm. um, you know, is a progressive disorder. And uh, his mother died from that, too. And, and, and there's this terrible moment at the end when, of course, he can't play the guitar, he can't talk, he can't speak to anybody. But all these young guys in the 60s, like, you know, the Bob Dylans are coming on, all picking up on his music, and he can't actually play anything or even communicate with them. So, mm. But it's a great um, celebration of a, of, a, of a style of music and a, a whole part of America that, um, you know, a lot of us maybe are not that aware of. Anyone into this sort of music really should go. And I think on Saturday nights, they say after the show, in the bar, which is actually on the street, isn't it, in that little side street off the mm. square, the bar there, you can go in there, and after the show, they're having a, a hootenanny. So all the musicians will be out there playing on these, on these uh, banjos and mandolins and fiddles, and, uh, and musicians can go along and join in, and it's all free, apparently. So um, quite a success, I think, for the arts. Yeah. Well, good for them. It's, it's a nice little theatre, actually. It is a nice little theatre, although the seats haven't been changed, I think, since about 1950. <laughs> Change they the seats. Like Change the seats. old cinema seats. You daren't move, because you think you're... You're going to annoy everybody in the row behind or yeah. something. But I'd love um, to own it. Nice little theatre to own, I would think. It's it's literally well, it would be, Leicester Square. It? Yeah, it would, but you, it'd be difficult though. I remember the first show I saw there was, of course, Slice of Saturday Night. Oh, Slice of Saturday Night, of course. It's where it began. Which, of course, is um, is on again now at the upstairs at the Gatehouse. Is it? Uh, lovely little gate. show. Lovely little show. Yeah. The Heather Brothers, isn't it? I think. It's the Heather Brothers, mm. and uh, and it was um, wasn't it Dennis Waterman. Was in it in 
probably not the arts, maybe, but certainly was in it in the West End when it, it, it transferred, I think, to somewhere like the Strand Theatre. I loved it. It was, like it was a real with, good with little Sonia. show with some good songs in it, some good foot-tapping stuff, and uh, ideal for all those people who remember going out to the local disco on a Saturday night. Yes, it's that kind of nostalgia and pastiche of songs of the 60s, mm. really, isn't mm. it? It's... Um, it's it's teenage dream time. <laughs> yes, it was certainly teenage dream time. Pregnant girls and overpriced drinks. Nothing changes. Does oh it? yes, Roger. We shall talk to you next week. All right, Steve. Wish you a pleasant you week. Thank you. And you. Bye. Bye. There you go, Roger Foss, and uh, that's at the Arts Theatre, which is just literally next to uh, Leicester Square. Dave says, I-, I used to run a pub, and it was up to me who I served. Surely the same applies to anybody running a B&B. No, it, it, the, the problem they had, they didn't have a problem with gay people going in, they just didn't want them to share the same bed. Well, I'm not sure what sort of service you were offering in a pub, but uh, you can't discriminate against somebody. If they walk in, you go, I'm terribly sorry, we're not serving you because you're black, or we're not serving you because you're Jewish, or we're not serving you because you're gay. Um, because that's, that's bigotry. You can't do that. You know, you'd have to say, no, because you caused a fight when you came in here last time or something like that. They were just booking into a B&B. And they wanted to stay in the same bed, like a lot of other people. I'm assuming if you turned up with the wife and they went, no, I don't think, you're not really married. Remember years ago, people turned up and go, would you like to sign the register? Not, in fact, it's done in Faulty Towers, I've just remembered, where he turns up and he goes, oh, not married, not married, Sybil, not married. Uh, two single room, no, we'd like a double, and I don't think so, no. And they wouldn't have it. And that, that actually wasn't so much bigotry. That was what a lot of hotels operated. So people used to sign in as Mr and Mrs Smith and pretend they were married so they could have a double bed for the night. Because otherwise it'd be single beds. And uh, you won't find anybody more bigoted than, uh, than Basil Fawlty. Uh, Steve, AOL don't send letters if you're in arrears. They restrict your online access to my account stuff and you pay online. You shouldn't have to call anyone. I mean, to be honest with you, the more I think about it, the more bizarre it seems that, that you would have to call. But I think that they actually did it first time round... And and they thought, oh, managed to get money out of him. Let's try it a second time, you know, because it didn't. I've spoken to people in in uh, in Mumbai before, and their English wasn't quite as good as this particular one. It was when I asked to see, speak to a supervisor, and he said there weren't any. I thought I've never heard of that before. No, no, there was no delay. It was. It sounds a bit strange, doesn't it? I don't know. Uh, Morel hates going to phone shops. Whenever you walk into one, it's like shark circling. It yes, it is for many people. Actually, I'm afraid. Uh, customer service, the best. Well, of course, you like it. There, you're a girl. I'm telling you, girls get completely different experiences in shops to men. You go in there, they go, "Hello, girly." You know, I go in there and they go, "Yeah." I go, "I don't think I'm attractive." You know, I have to start that one. So I've had to start wearing a frock now. A travel lodge in Brentwood says David Hammersmith stayed there when going to a wedding. Gave us an early check-in. Called taxi to take us to the church. Taxi late. Concierge took us in his own vehicle. Left him a tip. Came back in the taxi. ATM broken. Staff member lent us ten quid to pay for the taxi. Got back upstairs. Tip returned by the concierge for the lift to the church, saying part of the service. So travel lodge in Brentwood. Blimey, over and above the call of duty, ladies and gentlemen. So well done to them. El- I don't want that foul-mouthed preacher here either. I'm not interested in the government. We definitely don't want that stupid old man here. Let him rot in hell over there. Best, best place to keep him. Stupid people coming here. Who are these people, incidentally, not paying their water bills? How do you manage to get away with not paying your water bill? Do you remember we had... Are you one of these people? Text or tweet, LBC 97.3, steve at lbc.co.uk, or 84850. I'll keep your anonymity. Not much. And, uh, and the other one, do you remember we had the rather stupid... Uh, stupid um, 
ex-MP and failed everything else, Lembit Opic, rather silly person, who turns out owed a huge amount of money on his electricity because what he was paying was the minimum charge and he, he didn't uh, decide to have his metre read. So eventually, when they finally got round to reading the metre for that pitiful excuse of a house that he had, or flat or whatever it was, um, he owed thousands and I'm thinking, well, you've earned thousands in your life. You've hawked yourself around, be like Anne Whittacombe. So I see no reason why you shouldn't have to pay. You know, seems ridiculous. I like the story in the paper, dangerous though it was, of the shopkeeper in Finsbury uh, on December the 21st. Two armed raiders come in and uh, they go to rob him. His daughter's standing behind the counter. And uh, the son jumped in to help the father because the hooded robbers wanted the shop. One of them holding a gun to the head of the owner. They're going to be talking about this with Nick Ferrari this morning. Terribly brave. I mean, but at the same time, you're, why should these tow rags be allowed to come in? See, what I would have done is, I'd have loved... I mean, it would never happen, but it would just be so good, wouldn't it, if you sort of get these people. They both come in with things, and you feel like... I don't know, I can't... If you had the power of Superman or something like that, or Spider-Man, you should go... And they would cover it, and then you just rip their mask off and go, that's what they look like. Let's go and take you home and show your mummy and daddy what a pair of toe rags they've brought up. Because here they are, they're going to talk about this this morning. Uh, the son, 25, jumped in to help his father. And the, uh, you, can see the, you can see the video on the LBC website, lbc.co.uk. And the picture's gone to show the younger man being pistol-whipped while the other attacker tries to stab the father. I'd have blown their legs off, I'm afraid. I'm so, these people don't even deserve to be around. These, these disgusting... It would go in there and rob a shopkeeper who maybe has got 30 quid in the till... They're that desperate. Well, I tell you, I don't, you know, you, you just wish that there was something. You wish you could push a little button, and where they're standing, the floor opens up, and they go straight into a, a tank full of piranhas. And you go, terribly sorry about that. Bye. Yeah, it's a bit James Bond, I know. A bit, a bit James Bond. Dave has been watching BBC's Rip Off Britain. I think that is the BBC, isn't it? Rip Off Britain. I don't know if it was a programme. He said at the end, I saw Angela Rippon, 66, Gloria Hunniford, 70, and Jenny Bond, 60. Total age is 196 years and doesn't it show? All standing there and thought, isn't it about time they retired gracefully and gave somebody else a chance? And it's not like they haven't made loads of money. They must have made tonnes of money. I would th- I'm only guessing, of course. Uh, another one here, which says, uh, your prayers have been answered. Workshops started around the country, uh, changing the streetlights to brighter, more energy-efficient ones. Thank you. Well, I mean, round here, it's, I mean, I'm looking out here. This is London. It looks like it does in the Blitz. Can't have been much lighter when Jack the Ripper was walking around, and I'm sure at some point he must have walked up this road. But it's, it's look, one little piddly light out there. You can put big floodlights on, but you can illuminate Buckingham Palace. Why can't we illuminate the areas around here? Dreadful. Mary says, home base yesterday. Nice young man said, uh, can I help you in any way? Uh, and then he, on the checkout, he opened another till. So I didn't queue. I'm just doing a letter to his manager. It's always the thing you should do. If ever you get good service, write to them and tell them, because, you know, sorry, them. All right, because then, you know, it's, it, it means that somebody's done well. And you have to, because otherwise the managers don't, don't know. Always write in and say, if somebody's, you say, do you know that person did something, that was really nice and I like that, thank you. You don't have to sort of put down, you know, and would you like to send me a signed photograph of the uh, aforementioned, you know, you don't need to do that kind of rubbish. Just write and say, I was served by a young man today. He was very pleasant. And they'll then go back. And that makes people feel good. Because otherwise, all the people who work in these places, like Hope, they couldn't give a stuff either way because they think the customers don't notice them. I notice them. I notice them all the time. So, I've just done that one. I've just had that one about the water bill. Yeah, I've just said, would you own up? Oh, blimey, honestly. You've got those earplugs in again this morning. Best service, most places in America, says Ray. Here, HMV Online. Excellent, efficient and helpful phone service. Worst, 
definitely BT and Lloyd's TSB phone lines. Well, I'm thinking of changing from AOL to somebody else. Uh, Nick Ferrari this morning. Katie Nicole, diary editor of the Mail on Sunday and author of William and Harry, uh, is doing the papers for today. Plus the thugs beating the man at the tube train at unmanned stations. Does it prove our safety is at risk if there are cuts to tube staff? Not really, I shouldn't think so. It's not going to make the slightest difference. Most people don't get involved with that. They really don't get involved. Uh, although, yes, says Pat Sikorsky, Assistant General Secretary of the RMT. No, you ask tube station, would, would you get involved? No, absolutely not. Absolutely not. Uh, plus the good and bad sides of Twitter. Uh, Emma Barnett will be talking about that. The father and son who fight off the uh, the armed robbers. And the two mums turned away from the mother and baby group in Cambridgeshire because they were British. Uh, racism or positive discrimination? You'll find out later on with uh, with Nick Ferrari. Uh, we're still trying to find out if you're one of these people who doesn't pay their water bill or you, you've sort of disappeared under the radar. I'd like to find out who uh, you are. Uh, eight for... 850, Rain Balham, thank you very much indeed. Uh, Mark is up and about, so he's out collecting cars today. Start panicking. Apparently, obtaining a British passport aboard, abroad, says Grania, is nearly double the price of what you would pay in the UK. Adult passport outside the UK, 160 euros, 135 quid. UK price, 77.50. I live in Israel and had to renew my passport my children's last year. I'm still reeling from the shock. Terribly expensive, terribly expensive. It's ridiculous, isn't it? Uh, good service. Uh, you've just described Twickenham. Sounds more of a dump than Hammersmith, which you slagged off yesterday. I didn't slag it off. I just said it was rubbish. It's not slagging it off. Slagging it off is saying it was filthy. Oh, you're right, actually. I slagged off Hammersmith yesterday. It was filthy, dirty and horrible, I'm afraid. It was. It was absolutely ghastly. It's a bit like Hounslow. Hounslow, equally, you know, the pit of the, of the end of the world. Uh, I take a daily product called Lepicol. As an A2 regularity, which I find superb. I wrote to the managing director, says Richard, to thank him. He sent me two free pots. Yeah, you see, people do that. Pe- people are nice. You know, it's, you know, some people are nice. Some, some customers are, are rubbish. Uh, Steve, uh, says Gary, as you can see, I'm on AOL, and I was cut off after ten years, plus, of being with them, because there was an error on their part of my direct debit. At first, I thought it was a fault with my router, so I changed it after many attempts, what seemed like hours on the phone. Finally, they informed me they'd actually cut me off. It also takes up to three days to get the service back. Apparently, they did inform me online, but only under the master screen name, although they can see I never use it to log on. Anyway, I received an email a couple of weeks ago saying they will cut me off if payment not received. So, like you, called the Indian call centre and had to make a card payment online. Well, I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it. I tell you, they can cut me off if they like. I couldn't give a stuff, I'm afraid. I'll go to somebody else. There's loads of people who want your business nowadays. You don't need to stay with anybody. All you need to do is speak to them, and they have a special page. I'm so sorry you're leaving, AOL, or that kind of thing. You get it from all of them, and they need to give you a number, and they have to give it to you legally, and it's that that can get somebody else on there. So uh, today we look for another supplier. I'm not being put up, you know, with people like that, I'm afraid. Definitely not. Uh, 84850. Uh, I was there last night at the Arts... So glad that Roger liked uh, Woody, says. I thought it was very good, and the cast were really talented. Always knew Mr Foss had good taste, says D. Uh, Steve, working for a large supermarket, I treat every customer as if they were you. <laughs> How wise. And um, before you bang on about the Christian couple, writes somebody here, uh, refusing to admit the gay couple to their guest house. No, they didn't refuse to admit the gay couple to the guest house room. You've got to open your ears and listen properly. What they refused to do is let them share a bed. They didn't refuse them access to the guest house. Nothing worse than people who don't understand a story. He said, what uh, happened to the I reserve the right to refuse scenario? 
because it's bigotry, I'm afraid. And you have to be very stupid if you don't understand that. They didn't refuse them access to their bed and breakfast, which you're paying for. They didn't want them to share a bed. So, he says, as a Jewish gay man... Lord, you've got the set, haven't you, here? A Jewish gay man. He says, gay people have to accept that our lifestyle is not the norm. You are immensely stupid, I'm afraid. You really are a peculiar person, and quite clearly made up, I'm afraid. A Jewish gay man. You you put yourself into the bed and breakfast, sweetie pie, with your partner, who probably doesn't exist either. Very sad and lonely. But, uh, there you go. So, uh, they were right, they were bigots, and they were fined for it, and I was delighted... Couldn't, uh, couldn't meet a, a more revolting couple. Cheryl Cole is struggling to quit smoking at the moment. It's not easy. It's not easy. She says here, I miss smoking when I stop. It's not cool to say so, but I do. Well, her, Simon Cowell, they all <sighs> puff away and stink like ashtrays. Dustin, uh, Justin Bieber is a fan of Graham Norton. He says, I think he was fun and cool. I think I could enjoy a good night out with him. Great. He's probably thinking the same, I should imagine. You could have a good night out with Justin Bieber. You just don't know. <laughs> the very idea that Justin Bieber and Graham Norton could be seen out on the town, I think, is almost quite hilarious. <laughs> very funny. Uh, Emma Bunton doesn't believe it matters. She's not a professional skater. I'm there to offer an opinion. Yes, I agree. You have to know what the things are. But now we know that Karen Barber is having a fling with... What's-his-name from Torville and Dean. I can't quite get to grips with that one. Every time I look at him... As in, J- Christopher Dean is having... Yeah, I can never remember which one is which, actually. One's a woman, one's not a woman. That's right. Jane Torville is there and Christopher Dean, and she's having a fling with him. So, um, that's, that's, that's two marriages, isn't it? Two, two marriages or something like that. Uh, Ollie Murs is reading from his Brit Award nomination. Yeah, we're fairly surprised too, Ollie, love. Uh, it says here, um, it's mad, really. I mean, I just enta- entered a talent competition and didn't even win. Well, don't worry. This time next year you'll be going... Do you, want, do you want fries with that? And McDonald's cola? Don't worry, it finishes very quickly, Ollie. The, the chance of keeping it going is pretty remote, I have to tell you, just on the strength of two singles. It's very nice, but nobody's going to prepare you for the, for the aftermath. You'll have to do a reality show or skate or something like that or learn how to sing properly, because we've heard you singing on Channel 4 and it wasn't, uh, wasn't particularly good, I'm afraid. And who is Britain's most deluded mum? And here she is in the paper today. Her name is uh, Lisa Unwin. Lisa Unwin, apparently, her outrageous online diary reveals her fight against the recession, cancelling helicopters, finding a three-hour daily job and not buying so many handmade clothes. Is she deluded? Mm, No, I don't think so. I can identify with all of that, with the exception of cancelling the helicopter. You know, uh, I I don't actually do helicopters. I like this uh, man here who stockpiled light bulbs. His name is Kerry Nicolau, and uh, he's got a store in West London, and he's one of the last people to sell light bulbs. They're rubbish, these light bulbs. I'm sorry, the old-fashioned light bulbs. I never thought I'd say it, but I'm telling you that, really, the the other ones are much better. They last longer. I know you have to wait for them to warm up, and they don't look like a light bulb, but, you know, you've got to move with the times, and luckily I'm moving with the times. And how much, if I offer to cut your leg off, Amanda... If I cut your leg off, you know, just supposing, hypothetically, you need money. Think about this at home. I say, I'm going to cut your leg off. How much money would you expect? Quarter to seven. Let me check on the state of the roads. It's not the headline first, isn't it, with Sam Pitt? Say, on London's biggest conversation with me, Nick Ferrari, this morning from seven. So how much to cut your leg off? If I say to Amanda, I tell you what, I'll cut your leg off. How much money would you want for that? How much money would you want? There would be no, no money you could ever offer. All right, I'll offer you um, £50,000 to cut your leg off. Well, I, I don't want you... I'm just saying, how much do you think your leg is worth to you? 
priceless. That's what I would have thought, except in the case of Michelle Richards. Michelle Richards goes into a hospital and the doctors say um, that you've got a, a rare bone infection called osteomyelitis. And so, trusting the doctors and the diagnosis, they go, OK, and, and so they cut her, her leg off. She didn't have osteomyelitis. She didn't have anything at all. How much compensation did she get? Ten grand. Ten thousand quid for cutting your leg off with the NHS. My God, you get more if you're a doctor for saying you've got a phobia about bloody needles. And they go, cut your leg off, we're going to give you ten thousand quid, sorry. We've made a mistake. You made a mistake. And you're going to give us ten thousand pounds for cutting a leg... I'd have sued for a million. I'd have absolutely sued for... I cannot believe that they cut somebody's leg off. The board confirmed it had admitted liability and settled damages. Ten thousand quid? Need to get another lawyer, love. 10,000 quid for losing your leg because they made a mistake. And we've had doctors claiming hundreds of thousands of pounds because they're needle-phobic or nurse... Oh, I can't do that. And you think, oh, blimey. Absolutely ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous. 10,000 quid. That's what the NHS think your leg is worth to you. Jonathan Ross's wife said she hopes news about her daughter's sexuality will help others admit they're gay. Shut up. Shut up now. It's very silly. Nobody's interested. 84850, uk, And, um... Further your conversation on credit card fraud. Yesterday I had a call from an 0845 number when I answered an automated voice said, Good morning, this is an anti-fraud message for so-and-so, so-and-so. Press any key to continue. I was then asked to, asked to press three if I was Mr. So-and-so, or five if I wasn't. So I was... So I pressed five. I was then told that only... Mr. So-and-so could be spoken to in relation to the call. All seem legitimate. And, in fact, the 0845 number was Barclay card because I checked, but I wonder where they got the number from. They do that, don't they? When I got AOL the other day, you know, he said, oh, your address doesn't match up. I thought, well, you know, this is where I'm living, pal. You know, I don't know whether or not you're just that, that, uh, that balmy about it. The same thing is happening to us, says Paul, with a guy purporting to be from Sky TV. He does know our name but tries to get other details. When I point out that if he was from Sky, he would have the info, and that 90% of Sky staff are Scottish, the line goes dead. The numbers, of course, are always withheld. I phoned Sky about it. They're aware, but seemingly can't do much about it. You've got to be very careful with these things, because what they're trying to do, presumably, is just get your, your details. And, and when you say, no, I'm not going to give you the, those details, at all, or you say to them, they're online. I remember somebody once phoned me. What was it about? I can't remember. It was something. And they said, oh, can I just check your, your details? I said, well, you should have them on screen in front of you, shouldn't you? And they go, yes, I just haven't got into that screen at the moment. Can I just confirm a few things? No. Get into the screen first, then I'll confirm things for you. You tell them. And they, they, what they're looking for is your passwords. They're looking for passwords. Once they've got passwords, they've got access. So my advice is just be very, very careful. Benefit cheat here. Uh, this is Elsie Simcock, claimed handouts for having no income while she was in a job, and she got 28,000 quid. She's paid the price by being shunned by the community and told paid all but Good. Where does she come from? Where does this one come from? Not around here, I hope. She comes from, oh, Staffordshire. 28,000 quid. You should shun people who, uh, who cheat, because it's so... Oh, what is the age that you find happiness? I'm heading towards it, so it's a bit exciting, a bit exciting. 50. 50, apparently, is the age where you start thinking, oh, it's, it's lovely and I'm going to find true happiness. And um, well, that's what they say. Reasons to be cheerful. Number 20, more friends than ever before. I, t- I don't think you need loads of friends. 
I have to be honest. When th- somebody asked Oprah, Oprah Winfrey, I think it was uh, Piers, my new best friend, and uh, and he said, "How many friends have you got?" And she said, "Close friends, five. And he said, "Who are they?" She said, "I'm not going to name them, but I would think that's it. If you've got any more than that, you're lying or you're very insecure." Uh, the children have settled down is a reason to be cheerful. The children have left home, an even greater reason to be cheerful. Uh, having a great social life. To be honest with you, I think a social life is whatever you want to make it. Some people are better going out. Some people are better staying in. Uh, able to take lots of holidays. Oh, God, no, I can't think of anything worse. How boring. Comfortable with your body. I'm now, I'm now beginning to feel quite depressed, actually. Uh, relationship is stronger than ever. I'm really depressed. Uh, number three, in a relatively good financial position. Yeah, that's OK. Number two... Have more time to enjoy life. That's good. And number one, in relatively good health. Have you noticed how they actually put that in now? Relatively good health, as opposed to perfect health. Nobody's got perfect health. We've got relatively good health. I don't mind that. Uh, Very quickly, uh, would the Christian hoteliers have turned away an unmarried Mary and Joseph on Christmas Eve? Absolutely. Steve Hounslow is lovely. Don't be so ridiculous. It's a ghastly, filthy place. Oh, it's horrible. It's... Why don't you visit it? I wouldn't want to visit it. It's disgusting. Ugh, horrible place. Great service in Clinton Cards, says Ewan. Much better quality than other card shops. You obviously work for Clinton Cards, I can tell. Because, let's face it, yeah, in our one, they're miserable as hell. You've, oh, you've got a hard job to try and get them to come from the back of the shop where they're stacking to find customers at the front. Dreadful. They all chat all the time. You begin to feel that you shouldn't be there, so I go to the other card shop now. Or failing that, I've started going to other places where you can get personalised cards. And I do love the Jackie Lawson ones online, because you can send hundreds and thousands of cards a year for about five quid on email. You know those nice ones you open up with all the pictures? I'm very environmentally friendly as well. You can't put it on your mantle. Well, you can print it off. You can print it off and have it on there, but of course you haven't got a mantelpiece, have you, darling? Since you burnt it down. Yeah, it's a fake one. It's got the... F- She's got one of those fake fires. It's got, you know, that little bit of white material that's supposed to look like a flame painted red, and it sort of... It blows in the fan. Really pathetic, it really is. I've seen her place, honestly. It's been, been condemned so many times by the council. <laughs> Elliot says, M&S Energy has fab customer service. I don't even know what MSN Energy is, but it sounds lovely. Um... Steve, unmarried couples were not allowed to share a bed either at the B&B run by the Christian couple, not just gay couples. Well, they're even more bigoted than I thought then. From Julianne, says, found your show on Monday. Great to hear somebody saying what a lot of us are thinking. Not just a lot, loads. John's in Hounslow, says, people build flats at the ends of their gardens and pipe the water and electric from the house. They get two lots of water for the price of one. I've never even heard of this. This is all new to me, people who are not paying for water. This is absolutely staggering. Honestly, I've ever, never ceased to be amazed every day. What's the page number of your Radio Times feature? I don't know, go and buy it. What do you think I am? It's not the library. Oh, sorry, we don't have any libraries anymore, do we? Which is uh, a little bit of a shame. Uh, very quickly, uh, Daily Mail today, charities paying the price of uh, greed of Goldman Sachs. They've handed out £10 billion to its staff, but are slashing its gifts to charity by more than a third. You try writing to a footballer on the money they're on. So would you like to give us some money? Not really, no. I'm actually too committed to the, uh, the wife who's been out spending. Uh, another one here, Orlando Bloom's wife in breastfeeding row. I'll let you read that yourself. Uh, the Metro, there's a soldier here, a paratrooper, injured while on a rescue mission in Afghanistan. He lost one of his legs. This is interesting. She loses one because the doctor goes, we've got to cut it off and gets 10,000 quid. He loses one in a landmine and gets 1.7 million. Bit of a difference there. Bit of a difference. Still the same leg, I should imagine. The Daily Mirror. Uh, police were last night probing whether Joe Yates might have been murdered in the Strangler's car or at home. And that story runs on the front of The Sun as well. 
And uh, the Daily Star, Jordan, Alex still makes me sleep with him. What a load of old rubbish. Why do they print lies every day? It's very embarrassing. Very embarrassing. But uh, I suppose one can only hope that eventually they might start telling the truth. Uh, 84850. Uh, it says here, I'm sure we're all really worried that you can't see your way around Trafalgar Square because it's badly lit. One does not want to be direct. Can you write properly, Graham, or not? But do you think you should be driving a car if you can't see a way around Trafalgar Square? No, I don't. Absolutely. I agree with you totally, no. But I think that's more fun, isn't it? That's far more fun, you know. It, it, it makes makes sort of tourists, you know, look out. Like, beep, beep! Actually, somebody pulled out to the road yesterday, didn't even look. One of those dreadful 4 by 4 vehicles. They've got names for them around our way. Listen, we'll do it again tomorrow. Don't forget, podcast the programme which is on lbc.co.uk. Find out all the details, read the blog, and uh, check up on that video as well, because Nick's going to be talking about the uh, the couple in their shop who were attacked by those hoodies. So uh, check those out as well. And, Paul, yes, we know about your service in the shop as well. Very good it is too. I'm back tomorrow morning between 5 and 7. Have yourself very nice. We're going to talk to Alan Carr today, so hopefully that will be out as part of the In Conversation for this week with the lovely Alfie Bow. Nick and the team, after 7, first of all, business update, Sam Pitt.